Good morning, church. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 40. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions concerning the burial of his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies, women who received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment, they were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they, may be per would they be made perfect.
Good morning, everybody. Good morning, everyone at home. And thanks to Nicola and Philip for reading for us. And Philip, in particular, thank you for your prayers. Look, if you've been reading the Bible for any time at all, you find there are chapters, pages, stories where you're like, I would not want my name attached with that. Everyone in that story looks either foolish or evil or they just do poorly and I wouldn't want to be there. And then there are other chapters you read and you go, that's the Hall of Fame. That's where I'd like to be counted. Today we come to one of those Hall of Fame moments where you're like, if there was ever a point in the Bible where you're like, put my name there. I'm going to suggest that Hebrews 11 is not a bad place to find your name. This is like the Mount Rushmore of the Bible. Uh, and I used that illustration on purpose. Mount Rushmore, you know, that, that mountain in America has got the faces of it. I think they're presidents. And the reason I use that is because clearly those guys are giants and really important to uh, America. But the truth is, I don't know their names. And I don't know their stories terribly well, but I know that they're important. And so we will probably have a, a spectrum among us of when you hear names like Moses, Abraham. You're like, yeah, he's my favorite. Or you might sort of be like me with Mount Rushmore, where you say, look, I know they're really important. Don't quite remember their story. I want to say to you, if that's you, you won't be left out today. Know they're important. We're going to visit their stories very briefly, but you're not left out if you can't tell me the history of Rahab and everything she did. You'll be okay. Count it like Mount Rushmore. This is a moment of seeing people who did greatly And people who aren't just there to be carved into a mountain or in a hall of fame, they're there for you and they're there for me. See, when Hebrews was written, there was a time of crisis for faith. In fact, chapter 10, the previous chapter, ends with um, an acknowledgement or an encouragement to the people that says, look, we're not going to be those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we want to be those of faith who are saved. See, there's all kinds of social pressures and there's all kinds of actual persecution pressures on this community known as the Hebrews, these Jewish Christians, that would possibly cause them to shrink back and lose their faith. And so this Mount Rushmore moment doesn't come along so they might go, oh, I wish I was as good as those guys. This is a moment to explain, to encourage and strengthen them. And so if you find yourself today maybe in a space of, gee, I'd find it hard to believe in this Christian God stuff, or I'm finding it hard to maintain my faith, or there are a number of things that are challenging my faith right now, just, ah, am I crazy? Should I go on? Then this just might be the chapter for you. Because under God, it certainly was the chapter for them, and I suspect that today it might be the chapter to again strengthen all of us and not make us feel minuscule in the presence of giants, but help us to feel encouraged. So Hebrews chapter 11 opens with these words that you'll see on the screen. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. What the writer wants to establish for us is what faith is, And how it's played out in the life of those who have gone before the audience of the Hebrews and before us. I think what he's trying to tell us in these words is that faith is something that you hope for. Maybe a way to put it is it's a belief, a trust, a dependence 
that the future has more. If you're at home or if you're here, just say that word with me, more. Well done. Because that's a word we're going to revisit frequently throughout this morning. It's a belief that the best is yet to come, that there is more. The other thing that the opening verse of Hebrews 11 suggests to us is that faith is our basis for believing that there is more. It's an assurance, a conviction, a trusting, a confidence in the things that we have not yet seen. That's a challenge to our mindset sometimes. You've heard the thing, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Now, I'm no philosopher, but I know for centuries before Jesus walked the earth, philosophers have been debating, how do we know stuff? How do we have any knowledge of what is? And again, I'm not a philosopher, but I am aware that there are two major schools. There are the empiricists and there are the rationalists. Now, for an empiricist, this is kind of the, a unless I experience it, Unless I see it, hear it, touch it, feel it, smell it, I ain't believing that it's true. I've always wanted to take a hardcore empiricist and walk them over to the power lines and say, they say that that stuff will kill you if you grab it. Why don't you find out? And I suspect they won't be as hardcore empiricists at that point. And then there are the rationalists. Now, for the rationalists... This is where, you know, whoa, 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 there are optical illusions and things like that. You can't always trust what you experience, what you see, taste, smell, touch. Probably one of the famous ones was a guy called Descartes. He just decided to doubt everything and famously said, I think, therefore I am. He's a rationalist. He's a guy who's like, well, I'm thinking about stuff. And so as there's a reasonable process going, I must be. And then if I'm here and I'm thinking about God, then God must be. And so you see how for some it comes down to what you can experience and for some it comes down to what you can kind of rationalize, figure out or reason. Now, I'm probably one of those people who wants to go with a both and answer to this rather than an either or. Uh, Mark me crazy, but that's just where I am. But what I love about this passage is it teaches us that even when you can't experience it, even when you can't see, touch, or when something is beyond your experiential grasp, there can be a capacity for certainty. There can be a capacity to believe. There can be a reason for conviction. And so I asked you, as I said, let's say more together. Why don't we say the word reason together? Because that will come up. Ready? One, two, three. Reason. We're going to be talking about more, and we're going to talk about reason, because I want to contend this morning from Hebrews 11 that faith is certainly rational. There are experiences we can have that can build our faith, but faith is also a rational thing. And so here's today's message. If you run out of bandwidth at home, you need to set off the YouTube, here's what you were going to learn. There's good reason to trust in the God who is able, who is faithful, who is greater, and who wins. In the lives of some of these Mount Rushmore figures, let me show you why there is more and there is reason and there is certainly reason to trust in the God who is able, faithful, greater and wins. We're going to go to Abraham first up. And if you've got a Bible, you're looking at verses 17 to 19. Abraham is a guy who believed for more. Let's do it again. More. He believed there was more than his current circumstance. 
Abraham is a guy who he's more, what was the future he was hoping for, believing and trusting? He believed that trusting in God's plan is always going to bring a better future than the present. Yeah, that's what Abraham believed. He shows it again and again in his life. Trusting in God's plan will always result in a superior future than the present you're experiencing. Might not be an easier future, but a better future. But here's a challenge, particularly in this example of Abraham's life. What if the presence is spot on? What if you're living in a present that you're like, surely this is God's plan. Surely I've arrived. Surely this is perfect. I'm obedient. God's been faithful. Everything is great. Why would I take any steps? Well, this is kind of where Abraham finds himself. You see, in uh, verse 17, we find out that Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac, that's his son, as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Verse 18. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Here's the spot on moment. Abraham and his wife Sarah are in their 90s. Now God had promised them, though Sarah had been barren her whole life, unable to have children. God promised, I'll give you a child. Through that child, you'll be going to the grandparents' conference. It's going to get huge. You will have generations come from you. So can you imagine? You're in your 90s. And by God's promise, Isaac comes along. Surely we're in the grip of God's plan. Surely you're like, yes, this is spot on. The presence is precise. The present time is precise. And then God comes along and says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son. I'm going to ask you, like we have to do in movies sometimes, move past the offense just for a moment and don't miss the story of, whoa, God said what? God called Abraham to do this. And Abraham believing that when you're in God's plan, it's always better than the present, was obedient. Knife in hand, boy tied down, ready to do the gory deed. Abraham believed that when you're in God's plan, the future is better than the present, even when the present seems quite spot on. I mean like God-style spot on. What was his reason for this belief? He believed in a more. Was he just a crazy God follower? Or was there reason? There was reason. Verse 19. Abraham reasoned, Bible's words, not mine. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. That means that he had given Isaac over. He had made the sacrifice. Into your hands he is, Lord, Abraham was saying as he held the knife aloft. But he believed he had a rationale, a reason, that God, who he had known had brought life 
from nothing in the beginning. God, who he knew had brought life in the child Isaac from his 90-year-old barren wife's body. God, who brings life because God chooses to bring life, because God is able to bring life, could certainly bring life beyond death. That's his rationale. Now, if you're thinking, oh my gosh, you're going to lose your son. At this point, you limit God and all things that can happen to only what humans can do. Abraham has a different worldview to you. Abraham believes in the God who is able. That's his rationale. Abraham Abraham was willing to give over his only son, not thinking he would lose but trusting in God's plan for a bigger and better future because he trusted that the God who could bring life before from nothing could bring life again. Abraham's faith is based on an essential element of faith. And it's so simple you might dismiss it, but you dismiss it to your loss. Abraham simply believed that God is able As we seek to have faith that grows and doesn't shrink back, as the writer of the Hebrews wanted to see these guys not shrink back from their faith, the fundamental question is, can you learn from the experience of Abraham? And as you look at the ingredients and elements of your flesh, of of your faith, how do you answer the question, is God able? And if you'll take yourself back to the question of, do I believe in a God who is able to do things beyond what any other thing in creation can do, your faith is strengthened and your faith is ready to take a step forward. Your faith is ready to be sustained. Brothers and sisters, friends, I ask you, what is your conviction about God? Do you believe that the God of creation is a God who is able? Abraham did. And I'm asking God to strengthen me in believing that wholly too, and for you as well. And so we cast our minds further along Mount Rushmore with our author and see some more famous faces of the Bible. We go for a threefold at this point from verses 20 to 22. Uh, the writer of the Hebrew, to Hebrews uh, zooms us in in Isaac, Jacob and Joseph. What is the more that these guys are thinking about? Well, it's much the same as Abraham. They are believing that God has a plan to bring a future greater than the present. That God has a plan. And when you go with God, the future is bigger, better and brighter. Their question, though, is how is that going to work if it's beyond me? How's this great future going to be if it's beyond my capacity? What if I can't do it? What if it exceeds my resource? What if it exceeds what I am? What if it exceeds anything I've ever been? How could I ever be a part of that? That's their question. Why? Because these three guys, as we meet them here, are all about to die. Isaac is blessing his sons as he breathes his last. He's saying, all that's mine, I pass on. Joseph quite, Jacob quite literally in verse 21, it says, by, J, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, so yeah, don't make this stuff up. Joseph, verse 22, 
when he's when his end was near. These are all guys who, if they weren't aware that every person has their limitations are very much aware of it now because they feel their breath getting shallow. They feel, well, some of them are blind at this point. They feel, my life is about to end. I will be able to contribute nothing. Here's the next bit for these guys. These guys are all men of complexity. You see, when Isaac, who is Abraham's son, was meant to uh, be the promised child, there was a little bit of playing up on Abraham's part and there was this other kid, Ishmael, who was born and it got a little ugly. Later on for Jacob, he and his mum, well, they stitched his dad up really well by putting on fake outfits and things like that when dad was blind and cheated their way into an inheritance. Now, Jacob being a wake-up to how people can be deceptive, when he blessed Joseph's children, he's like, I'm not going to be fooled by you lot, he crossed his hands over. You know, I know people can be dodgy. I know things can get weird. So the complexity of these guys is really helpful. They know sometimes circumstances don't play out the way you'd hope. They know sometimes you get stitched up. They know that sometimes you come to the end of yourself, but yet they have a faith that believes that God has more for the future. And so they press into it. They pass on a blessing, even though it will be be beyond their lifetime and beyond their control. What is their reason... What is the reason these guys have for believing in a more? What reason could a devious deceiver like Jacob have? What reason could a guy like Isaac have? What reason could a guy like Joseph? Joseph was a guy whose brothers beat him half to death and then sold him into slavery to another nation. Joseph is the guy who famously says, to his brothers when they are reconciled, would you imagine? What you intended for evil, God intended for good. What is their reason for trusting there could be a more beyond themselves? They've seen a promise-keeping God. They know that their lives only came to be, any blessing they have only came to be, because God continues to keep his promise. Jacob should never have received the blessing he got, but God said, I'm going to bless the younger kid rather than the older one. That's not the way the custom went, but God had a promise and he kept it. Time and again throughout history, when you read God's resume, when you check his references, everyone says, reliable God, turns up when he says he'll turn up, leaves when he says he'll leave, gets his work done on time, makes a promise, he keeps it, never over-promises and under-delivers, always, 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 has not missed a dot yet. What's their rationale? Past performance will be indicative of future results. And so they reason that even though this goes beyond their life, beyond their capacity, beyond the complexity that they can understand, there is every reason, every good reason to trust in a God who is faithful. He keeps his promise. Second question to, to look at in our own faith story. We've asked, do we believe that God is able? Do you believe that God keeps promises? Or do you think he's getting on now, kind of geriatric, and sometimes forgets? Do you think something more sinister? Maybe he lies. Faith that doesn't shrink back 
faith that keeps going embraces these ingredients that God is able, as Abraham knew, and that God is faithful, as Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph came to understand. Now, one of the Bible's heavyweights, of course, is Moses. Moses, Moses. They even make Disney movies about this guy. He's big. What is the more that Moses is hoping for? Moses' more is maybe even more specific. God's kingdom is greater than the best the earth has to offer. That's the more that Moses is believing. That there is something better that God has promised even beyond the perfection that is living in Wollongong today, which is the greatest place on earth. Sorry, everybody else. This place is the best. Moses knew. See, Moses had been adopted to be uh, in the royal family of Egypt at the peak of Egypt's powers. And he's like, there's something better than this. God's kingdom is greater than the greatest kingdoms on earth. Here is his reasoning. And it's kind of mathematical in a way. I should have had a whiteboard to write this up. Moses' reasoning is when you take... When you take God's treasure, God's kingdom, and everything that he has promised, and you minus from that, you take away presence and real earthly suffering, the result is still greater than the very best the earth has to offer. That's Moses showing he's working. God's kingdom, God's treasure, God's reward minus the worst suffering you can have on earth is still greater than the greatest treasures the earth has to offer. And so Moses, man, Moses gets in our face with his life and he he causes us to ask the question, do we believe that the best is now? And the really cool thing about believing in God and an afterlife and all that sort of stuff is, well, look, now is really great, and when you die, you get this really good consolation prize where you get to go to heaven and play a harp on a cloud, like in the cartoons. Or do you believe, as the Bible continually says, that what is now cannot compare with the glory that is to come? Moses certainly did. And faith that endures seeks out an ingredient that says, yes, I must remind myself that even as good, and my sympathies to those who don't have it good, but I got it good. That even as good as people like me have it, I'm not home. This is not the best. The best is yet to come. Do we believe that God's kingdom treasure is greater? Then we meet a lady called Rahab. You can read about her in the book of Joshua. Now, Rahab is real simple. Rahab inhabits the city of Jericho, and the spies of Israel's army, these are the ancestors of the Hebrews, they come along because God's going to give this city into their hands. What's the more that Rahab's believing? Well, it's pretty simple. Being alive is better than being dead in her books. Being on the winning team beats being on the losing team. 
See, we've met a God who is able. We've met a God who is faithful. We've met a God through Moses who is greater. And now we're going to meet a God who simply wins. He just wins. There is not a battle he can't win. And Rahab, her reasoning, her rationale is, well, seeing as though I think life is better than death and winning is better than losing, I choose life. Her words to the spies are, look, it's clear that God has given, uh, that the Lord has given this city over into your hands. Rather than be destroyed, her rationale is change teams. She gets on board with God. And her life is preserved. Why? Because God is a winning God. There is not a battle that God has not yet won. Most perfectly seen when his son, though nailed to a Roman cross, that put in the ground on the third day, stood on the dust of the earth again alive and will stand on the earth again. There is not a battle God can lose. We ask ourselves the question, do I believe that God's a winning God or God's an also-ran? Some things, yeah, he tried hard, give him a participation award, God, maybe next time. Or do you believe that God's a winning God? I believe, because of Jesus, definitively, that God is a winning God. Strength that in, uh, faith that endures believes that God is able, that God is faithful, that God is greater, and that God quite simply wins. I'm glad the writer to the Hebrews says, I don't have time to go into all the other guys because I don't either. But look, he lists all these unnamed heroes, some of them named, some of them unnamed. And look, here's the thing. All of them saw more. All of them saw in God's plan and following him, there is something greater than your circumstance. So keep going. What was their reason for believing in the more? Collectively, they came to understand that God is able. God is faithful. God is great. Greater and God in the end wins. He just does this stuff time and time again. And so it's just good, rational reason to trust in a God with this sort of track record. And here for me comes the kicker as we get to verses 38 and onward. It says of these people, the world was not worthy of them. Imagine being counted in a chapter in the Bible where you're classed as a hero of faith and they're like, man, the world's not worthy of this guy. This lady was awesome. That's what's said of these people. We read on to verse 39 that these people were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. It's weird, isn't it? God who's able, God who is faithful, God who is greater, God who always wins. People who qualify perfectly through their faith and God has you know, commended their faith, but they are not holding the prize yet. What's going on? Why is that the case? Verse 40. Because or since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they might be made perfect. The whole encouragement of the letter to the Hebrews is that there is more. 
I don't know if you've seen that pattern throughout this whole book. God is saying through the author to the writer, there is more. From the very first words of this letter. In many times and in various ways, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. In these last times, he has spoken a perfect word through his son. Man, if you think Moses knew God because he appeared to him in a bush, if you've heard about Jesus, you know God better. Yeah, Moses was a great prophet. A better prophet has come. Yes, there was a Levitical priesthood and they went into that special part of the temple and brought prayers to God and made atonement and did all that stuff. But you have better access to God. You can enter the holy place and you can come boldly to the throne of grace to ask for timely help. You have more than the Levites ever did. Do you understand that there was an old covenant, an old arrangement between God and people, but now there's a better and bigger one in the blood of Jesus? Do you understand that once upon a time, we had to kill bulls and sheep, and it was a whole butcher shop affair, a better sacrifice, and the final sacrifice has come. His name's Jesus. There was more. What the writer to the Hebrews is saying to them and saying to us is, all these heroes of faith did it on a shoestring budget. But to you who know Jesus, you've seen so much more. To you whom Christ has been revealed, there is every more reason for your faith. And here's a bit that humbles me, if I'm not humbled already. That for the faces on Mount Rushmore, for these people in this passage, they would not yet be made perfect. Their journey will not be over. Every more that God imagined will not be complete until they are united with the readers of Hebrews in ancient times and the readers of Hebrews today. God is waiting to unite the ancient heroes of faith with the people today who just keep believing. He wants to bring us all together as one in Christ. That's the more. If he took the bait at the start of this talk, thought, yeah, I wouldn't mind my name in Hebrews chapter 11. When you come to Christ and you remain in Christ, your name is counted in Hebrews chapter 11. Your name is counted in the book of life. And when there is God who is, who is able, greater, able, faithful, greater, and who wins and has shown this in Christ and invites us in, tell me there is not every good reason to put your faith in him and endure with him. For in him there is more and the heroes of faith are made complete. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus. We thank you that in him is the ultimate picture of just how able and powerful you are to come from uh, the infinite to the finite and dwell among us, to overcome all things. We thank you that in Jesus we see your faithfulness, that you promised you wouldn't leave us. You promised that you would save your people Israel, that you promised you would rescue all nations beyond Israel, that you promised the game wasn't up even when it looked bad in some of those Old Testament times. 
We thank you that in Jesus, he has promised he will return with a new heaven and a new earth and his reward, his kingdom will be greater than anything we can know on earth. We thank you that in Jesus, we see the ultimate victory over sin, the devil and death by his resurrection. And so, Father God, I pray for us today that we would understand that there is every good reason and that it borders on just irrational to not trust in you and not persevere in you, the God who is able, faithful, greater, and who wins. We pray this and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.